glad to be here with you all again this, uh, this morning. Uh, also, just want to continue to remind you, uh, as you exit the building today, make sure you stop over and uh, check out the tables we have set out there. They're different every week. Last week's is there if you missed last week. Beautiful representation of, of Black History Month and the different aspects of people, places, things you might never have heard about before. And to, again, impress upon you the importance of this is, is, is a starting of a conversation. Right? Have more conversations, have more enlightened moments learning about other people and other histories. I think everybody could be entirely blessed by it, just spending a few moments over there. So check it out on your way out. Please make sure you do that uh, before you leave today. Uh, so uh, we're still in our uh, series on Luke, and I, I realize we are going slow. I hope you don't mind because I'm not going to change what I'm doing because uh, I've been really blessed by it. I, I've really just loved sitting with Jesus specifically in the Gospel of Luke, every single week, and seeing what he has to say to us today. Uh, but last week we talked about the, the example of this, uh, this idea of joy, choosing joy over shame in our lives, right? That Jesus came not for us to experience shame, but that he took on shame in order for us to experience joy. And also we talked about seeking vulnerable relationships, because last week we, we, we dove deep into how Jesus, really from this point forward, is kind of opening himself up to the world in a very different way. Right Last week we talked about Peter declaring Jesus as God's Messiah. Jesus asking, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And eventually getting to the place where Peter says, you are God's Messiah. Opening himself up. And like we said last week, this is the ticking time you know, that's going to eventually come to a close for Jesus. And it starts now. Right? Where Jesus kind of openly says that he's the Messiah. From this point forward, the cross is looming. Is looming greater and greater each day. And we talked about how we ourselves need to seek those vulnerable relationships just like Jesus did. Right? He had his inner circle. He had his inner inner circle. Right? He had the people all around him, but he was constantly seeking room to be vulnerable with the people that he you know, was eventually going to be crucified by. Uh, but for us, we need to have the same intention to be vulnerable with others. Last week we talked about the importance also of Peter declaring that Jesus Christ is God's Messiah and that eventually, because of that truth, he is going to have to die. And he also said for his disciples, the life is going to be very similar. You have to carry your cross every single day if you want to follow me. Pretty gloom, right? Today we're going to get into an interesting kind of side quest here for Jesus that's going to make things a little bit difficult for the disciples who just declared Jesus as God's Messiah and also experiencing this moment as well. So we're going to kind of go piece by piece through this kind of interesting moment here in the New Testament. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It's very kind of Old Testament-y, and it's, going to be, it's on purpose. Okay, So we're going to read this, we're going to walk through it a little bit together, and we're going to see just what Jesus is up to and just what Luke is up to as he's telling us this story. So in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 29... As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Right In the context here, Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. Okay, And now whenever you read something in your Bible, and it kind of reminds you of something that's happened before, it's probably supposed to. Okay, And so when anybody ever goes up on a mountain, there should be theme music playing in your mind. Okay, this, something important is about to take place, right? Like in a scary movie when the scary music happens, and you're like, don't go in there because the scary music is happening, right? Same thing, but they're going up on a mountain. Something special is about to take place, okay? 
And then this happens. He goes up and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. His face changed. This should remind you of somebody in particular, right? Our guy Moses. Moses, he had a very similar experience when he went up to a mountain to experience the presence of God. God passed by him and his face was radiant, right? So much so that he had to put a veil over his face because people were afraid to look at him. Right? And later on with, with Moses, we realized it kind of became something else. The, the radiance of God would kind of dissipate from him, and he kept wearing the veil so that people wouldn't notice. Right, uh, But in this situation, we are supposed to be reminded of Moses. You are supposed to think of Moses, and just as Moses' face changed, Jesus' face changes, but it goes a step further. Do you see what's happening? His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. What we're trying to get here, what we're trying to understand here, is that the entire person of Jesus was blindingly light. So much more so than what we experienced with Moses. Kind of hinting to us that something greater than even what Moses experienced is happening right now. We also should be reminded of our guy Elijah, another prophet who went up to a mountain, cue the theme music, went up to a mountain to experience the presence of God. And God passed by him in the still uh, small voice of, the, of this wind right? that he experiences. Not in the earthquake, not in the tornado, not in those natural crazy disasters, but in a still small voice, Elijah experienced the presence of God up on a mountain. So as we walk up the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, we should be thinking of Moses and Elijah, these prophets, these sent prophets that God sent a long time ago, at this time. And if it wasn't cl- uh, clear before, it is now, okay? Verse 30, it says this Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So again, we're touching back into the history, the heartbeat of what this entire people group have been talking about for a very long time. We don't understand this in American culture. We don't go back very far, right? When I went over to Israel and they're like, oh yeah, this was here thousands of years ago. That's crazy. We don't get it. But we're talking about these stories and these people and these things that are taking place. This is the the heartbeat of who they are as people. And now Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus, all three of these people experiencing this transcendent moment here at this place, talking about his departure and how he was to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Right, very strange, uh, and this, this is kind of more the same what we've experienced from Luke, right? This telling of something has taken place before, and Jesus is going to do something greater, right? I think Matthew actually says it perfectly here, what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come to, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, Right? It's almost as if Jesus is taking the baton from what the prophets had done long ago, what God had been doing in his people from a long, long time ago, and Jesus is saying, now it's really happening. We're up here on this mountain. Our guy Moses and Elijah, they're here too. We're experiencing this place here and now, but something greater is come. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill And the point is made clearer here in this moment where Peter and Moses and Elijah are together and then this happens. While while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. 
When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So you see here in this moment, it's like saying exactly what we just said. Jesus is here. Right? Moses came and went. Elijah came and went. All the prophets, they came and went. But Jesus is here on the mountain with his disciples. And it's like, the time's now come. I am God's Messiah. What you said was so true. And it's happening right now. Awesome, right? Jesus is the best. We can walk away and that could be the only takeaway. Yes, Jesus, you fulfilled so much. But the big problem with all this fulfillment talk and all this restoration talk and all the things that Jesus has been about up to this point is that Jesus is kind of including us in this big group project. I don't like that. I remember in school, I really actually hated group projects, especially when it was like English class. And the teacher said, hey, we're going to do a group assignment about this book, and you've got to have these different aspects. You've got to have a PowerPoint. You've got to have a skit. You've got to have all these things, maybe even a food item to represent your chapter in the book. And the moment my teacher said it's a group project, I was checked out. I hated group projects because that meant that now on a weekend or at night, I have to go to someone else's house and talk about school. And that's awful. That's like some kind of torture. I don't want to do that. So, and, and also with group projects, there's one or two things that would happen, right? One is you would do nothing and you would get a good grade possibly because somebody else did all the work. Or the second option is you do all the work and the entire group does nothing. It's awful. You know, I've never been a part of a truly collaborative group project when it comes to high school or college. Now I get it. So my actual, my tactic for group projects was I would look at the rundown of the things we had to do. I would pick out a big chunk that I could do by myself and tell the group, you guys got the rest. I have this right here. This is my domain. Trust me. They shouldn't have trusted me, by the way, but we all came out okay. We all came out okay. I have great stories about group projects in high school. Love thinking about that, but I hated the group project. I hated it. And I understand what they're trying to get us to do, right? Group projects help you be collaborative, helps you learn how to share loads and share burdens with one another, helps you come together and have a different perspective on something that you might not have had before. Still didn't like it, okay? Still didn't like it. But I read this and I, and I see this, this, this transcendent moment, right? This transfiguration that's happening. And he does it here with Peter, James, and John. He includes them here in this moment to see exactly what's taking place. To affirm what they said about him being God's Messiah. To affirm this fulfillment that Jesus is all about. But it's almost like in that very moment, it's like now that you've seen this, you can't do anything else but be part of this group project. You declared that I am God's Messiah. You are right for that. But you are part of this with me. And my question is, why would Jesus entrust us with this? Why would Jesus entrust us with this message? Because I will say this as a person who falls under the banner of this, we are incredibly selfish people. Incredibly selfish. We desire what we desire and we want everybody else to bend to our desires. About the kingdom of God and tell everybody about it because they need to hear it and you're going to be the, the bearer of this message. But we are selfish. 
We don't necessarily want to do what people tell us to do. We don't necessarily want to work as a group all the time. Because that means that I have to listen to other people. I have to work alongside other people even when I disagree with other people. In general, this is tough, like talking about school projects, but guess what? It's very, very true within the church as well. Very true within the church. We should be the most collaborative group on the face of the planet. Why? Because Jesus said that I died for every single one of you. Every single one of us should say, yes, I am worthless without you, Jesus. Let's collaborate together and make something great for your name. But that's not the case. Why? Because like I said before, we are inherently selfish and slimy people. We are. We are as selfish and as slimy the rest of the world, but guess what? We're redeemed by Jesus, and that's a great thing to celebrate, but that doesn't take, yeah, we should celebrate that, but that does not take away kind of our DNA of selfishness. We want what we want, and even when we come to church, we still want what we want, but there's a little bit of a rub there, right? We often pick fights, and we act out, and sometimes, especially within the church, we can do this. We like to justify it with righteous indignation. You ought to feel the way that I feel because Jesus made me feel this way. Yikes. I'm going to act out and I'm going to say mean things and and, and be bad to you because I am morally and objectively correct. We stand on this kind of, you know, pulpit or the soapbox of being morally right because we have Jesus on our side when the reality is we are just Selfish people wanting our way. We're looking for a fight sometimes. But wait a second. If the church people are looking for a fight and if the church people are are morally outraged at certain things that they particularly have have a disposition towards, aren't we supposed to be working on a group project together? Aren't we supposed to kind of be up on this mountain experiencing this with Jesus? That he's saying that you are kind of part of this kingdom, you know, infiltration of the world. You are a very big part of it. Shouldn't we be the ones that want to work together for the sake of the gospel? I hate to say it, but we kind of missed the mark. And I'm not just saying us, because right tucked in the middle of all this shows how deep our DNA runs with this selfishness. I skipped over this. If you're in your Bibles, I always highly encourage you you're in your Bibles. I I make it easy for you guys having it up here, but I always encourage you to have your Bibles because I intentionally left this out. Okay? But here we are in verse 32. When all this is taking place, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, of course. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. I love Peter's heart here. I really do. Master, it is good for us to be here. It is good for you to be there, Peter. It is very, very important for you to be here, but not for the reason that you think, right? He wants to build a shelter because he says, hey, Jesus, can we just stay up on the mountain here together with Moses and Elijah? This is awesome. I want to stay here forever with you. And Peter's heart is in the right place, but he's forgotten that Jesus is going to come off the mountain. He's forgotten what Jesus said eight days prior, as Luke says, that the cost of being a disciple is that you have to carry your cross every day. You don't get to stay up here, Peter. Jesus isn't going to stay up here, Peter. 
we're going to have to come off the mountain and we're going to have to get to work together. But Peter, in this moment, that selfish part of him that wants that Messiah to be the restorer of Jerusalem, to take back what they, that, that, what's theirs from Rome, to be this warrior, to be this leader, he wants this Jesus to permeate through history and stay here. But Jesus has no intentions of staying here. He has to come off the mountain. It is good, Peter, but there's so much more. And this is kind of the theme for all of Luke chapter 9. Right? If you go to Luke 9, 38, this is what it says. This is right after this, okay? A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is only a child. A spirit seizes him and suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Yikes. You guys remember... A few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus giving them all power and authority to handle situations like this. You remember that? Nod your heads, right? We remember this. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And then Jesus says this, You unbelieving and perverse generation. Dang, that hurts. (laughs) That hurts. How long shall I stay with you? and put up with you, bring your son here. You realize who he's talking to, right? He's talking to his guys, his inner circle, his people, who just said, you are God's Messiah, who just were up on the mountain of the transfiguration with Jesus. You unbelieving and perverse generation. That should cut them to the core, and it should cut us to the core, because they don't get it, and neither do we. They're unable to do it. He continues, verse 44, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Right? Their unbelief triggered Jesus to say this again, right? The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. I get that. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Do you hear this run the disciples are on right now? It's not great. It's not great, right? They are unable to do the things that Jesus has given them the ability to do here with this miracle. They are then asking Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then once Jesus responds to them, they say, Jesus, somebody else is getting some glory besides us. What do you want us to do about it? That's an unfortunate run for the disciples. Consumed by selfishness. Consumed by their way, but cloaking it with this righteous indignation for what's going on. That's wrong. And once again, he says, you're going to lose everything if you follow me. What part of this has to do with the greatest in the kingdom of God? When did Jesus ever talk about that, right? But the people want to make it about that because they have this idea of what things are going to be like. They have this idea of what things ought to be. 
And I look at these people and I say, you know what? These are our ancestors. They also did this in verse 52. And he sent messengers on ahead and went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Are you serious? Guys, please wake up. Please wake up. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm frustrated not with the disciples, but I'm frustrated because every single time I've been reading Luke 9 over and over and over this week, I keep seeing my reflection. I keep seeing a reflection of the church. We have the truth, yet we choose selfishness over the truth almost every single time. But we, again, we cloak it with this righteous indignation. I am more right than you are. My way is the correct way, and I want to line it up somehow with the way that Jesus is speaking to us. If I can say it in the right way, if I can nuance it, maybe I can come across even holier than you. Yikes. Because, guys, that's exactly what's happening here, right? These guys are trying to justify behavior that Jesus wants nothing to do with. Should we call fire down from heaven and destroy them, Jesus? They're missing it. They're missing the entire point. We can declare that Jesus is Messiah all day, but yet fall short of that reality in our lives. We can call him God, Messiah, every single day, but fall short of the reality of that. One of my favorite things is, uh, or my least favorite things about learning a different language as an adult is that sometimes it's very difficult to get your point across, right? I was learning Spanish for a very long time, and my Spanish is not fantastic anymore. Uh, But one thing that I learned going to Spanish-speaking cultures is that children get a pass all the time. And not just in Spanish, but in in English. Kids get a pass all the time. They point to a window, and they say, window. And you say, yes, window. You point to a door, and you say, yes, door, door. And they say, door, over and over and over again. And they're learning. What I look at this is that we can declare Jesus as Messiah and say it with our mouths, but not fully understand what we're saying by doing it. We can fully declare and fully unite ourselves, even in baptism, declare that he is our Lord and we believe in him, but not actually follow through with it. We're just like children pointing to things and saying and being affirmed, but we still do not understand it. We cannot keep going down this road as a church. We cannot continue to be selfish people that get outraged about specific things because it hurts our feelings. We cannot be selfish people who are just looking out for ourselves. And the unfortunate part about this, guys, like I said, it's unfortunate that God gave us this task of being a part of this group project because it's really tough. The thing is is that it's not just between us and Jesus. It's between us and Jesus. We have to do it together. I'm sorry, the teacher assigned it. It's not my, it's not me. The assignment is for us to work together. So my question is, I have a few questions. All this selfishness, all of our DNA, all these things that we've been talking about, I have a couple of questions. Which is more important to you, your way or Jesus' way? Your way or Jesus' way? 
Okay, this is easy. Of course, we all want to say Jesus' way. Like that's the that's the correct answer. I'll give you. I'll give it to you. That's the correct answer. But remember that Peter wanted to stay on that mountain so badly, right? He wanted to be there. It is good for us to be here, Jesus. Let us build a shelter for all three of you, and we can share meals together, and we can restore Jerusalem together, and and that'd be great. Peter wanted that. Remember James and John? What did they want? To bring fire down on, wouldn't you know it, the Samaritans. That seems very convenient to me. I haven't heard them talk about any other people group like that so far. But Peter and James, they go to this place, and at the first inclination of some kind of you know, dispute or, or, or difficulty, they say, you know what? These people, we already don't like them. They don't want to accept us. Why don't we just go ahead and bring fire down on them, and we're going to call it religious. That's what it seems like, doesn't it? My way, I'm trying to make it kind of fit in with Jesus' way, and it's sinister. So sinister, in fact, that a lot of things have happened to people throughout, throughout, throughout history because they're, they're explaining their way, but they're really saying it's Jesus' way. We just talked about this in our, in our Bible class this morning, the Young Adults Bible class. I want to read to you something here that might make a little more sense. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you, each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Guys, we have a a very, very torrid history of slavery in this country. And this Bible verse lands right here in the middle of this because people were able to explain away slavery, the enslaving of human beings that were kidnapped from their country, with the Bible. That is sinister. That is of Satan himself. And it came straight from this. If you don't think that you are able to twist and convolute the word of Jesus for your own will, remember the same people who enslaved people in this country used the Bible to do what they wanted to do and said, Jesus wants this. That is an extreme example. But there are so many examples that I've seen, I'm sure that you've seen, where people say, this is how I feel, and look, the Bible backs me up on this. When they're twisting it, they're making it their way and cloaking it with Jesus' way. It's wrong. And we can all agree that that's wrong. We do not want to take Scripture out of context. We do not want to make the words of Jesus our words and manipulate people. That's not what we're about. We want to be about the way of Jesus. Okay, that's easy, right? I'm going to bend, I'm going to say, you know what? I can surrender to Jesus, right? We can do that. Because Jesus came and he died and he's the son of God and I can surrender to Jesus because he is all-powerful and able to do things that I could never think or imagine. But, I'm saying that's easy, it's not easy, but it's a little bit easier than this one. Which is more important to you, your way or unity and love? See, because this one, 
I can really justify because Jesus died for my sins, right? He scorned the shame so that I could joyfully uh, strive towards what he has prepared for me. I can do that. That's fantastic. But now I have to work in the group project with you guys. We can laugh about that, okay? I have to work with you guys. You have to work with us guys. And sometimes this is very difficult. Sometimes I don't want to listen to your way because I think your way is kind of not the right way. Sometimes you have to listen to my way and you just nod along and say, I really disagree with you. But here's a crazy thing. I think we can disagree a whole lot better if we get this one right. Right? If we get this one better, if we work on actually surrendering to the love and compassion and empathy of Jesus Christ, this becomes a whole lot easier. And I am not saying that we should stop disagreeing. We should keep disagreeing. Because the more that we disagree and the more we talk together and the more we collaborate together, the easier it is going to be to work together for the kingdom of God. It's not going to be pretty. I promise you it's not going to be pretty. But if we actually surrender to the love of Jesus and actually authentically surrender to one another and strive towards unity together, not that we're all always going to agree on everything that we ever say, but that we are going to say, you know what, I'm still going to love you. That changes worlds. That makes these small quibbles and small things seem like nonsense. Your way versus unity and love. Are you willing to have a conversation? Are you willing to go into that dissonance, right, and have that difficult conversation? Because like I said, the church should be the most collaborative group of people on the face of the planet. Although we are selfish, although we are, we are not sinless, right, we should be willing to collaborate because the love of Christ is overwhelming. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this, this message here. Uh, in Luke 9, of this, these disciples who don't get it, and the reality is that we are disciples who also do not get it. Help us to have a clearer picture of what you were calling us to be about. Help us to have a clearer picture of how we can move forward together, truly investing in your way rather than our way, and truly investing in one another to collaborate together in love and unity and to have a clearer picture of how we can be more like the church that you were calling us to be, the church that you died for. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs at all, we do want to invite you to come forward and make them known. If you're having trouble with this, if you're saying, you know what, I really don't know Jesus' way, we want to walk with you. If you have any needs at all, won't you come forward as we stand and we sing.